Welcome to the Imperfectly Perfect Campaign, sharing real-life stories from real people to unite them in global change for the face of mental health. We will also reduce the stigma, creating communication, healing, and awareness to save lives and inspire. Join us weekly as we talk to some of the highly acclaimed faces, influencers, experts, and others who have been through extreme adversity. All right, guys, so welcome to another episode of the Imperfectly Perfect podcast. Today, we're going to delve into the corporate realm, and I'm so excited about this guest because somebody that I have followed for quite some time, and I initially got introduced to his work through David Meltzer that I also learned a lot through, so it really led me to hone in and find out more about Blaine Barlett and the incredible work. So first of all, I want to run down on a, on a bio, and it is quite an extensive bio because you have had such an incredible career, but... Blaine Bartlett is an internationally respected and sought-after executive coach, management consultant, and organization and leadership development expert. Blaine is president and CEO of Avatar Resources, an adjunct professor at Beijing University, founder of the Institute for Compassionate Capitalism, and a member of the Transformational Leadership Council. He coaches and consults worldwide and has personally delivered training programs to over 300,000 individuals and has directly impacted over 1 million people. He's the author of five books, the number one international bestseller, Compassionate Capitalism, A Journey to the Soul of Business, Discover Your Inner Strength, written in collaboration with Stephen Covey, Ken Blanchard, and Brian Tracy, the best-selling three-dimensional coaching, moving passion into performance, and tapping into the soul of business, the key to employee engagement. His latest end book, which we're going to chat upon a little bit later, is the Leadership Mindset Weekly. During the past three decades, Blaine has consulted worldwide with executives, companies, and governments, and has delivered keynotes and training programs to approximately 300,000 individuals. Like I was saying, his work has impacted so many people worldwide, guys. In 2012, he was formally invested as a Knight of the Sovereign Order of St. John of Jerusalem Knights of Malta, the world's oldest humanitarian organization. So first and foremost, Blaine, welcome to the show. What a resume. <laughs> I'm tired. I'm tired. Let's go. Wow. See, over the time... I need to go take a nap. <laughs> I was going to say, how, how long have you been in this profession now? Uh, well, since uh, roughly 1976, so 40, 44 years. What is the secret? Because you still look so young. You still look so good. <laughs> and I can, I can only attest that kind of career in the corporate sector comes with stress as well. Yeah, it, well, it does. It certainly does. I, but I, I think part of the secret is um, just doing what I love. I mean, and I mean that very, very literally, doing what I love. Uh, one of my grandkids uh, asked me, well, uh, first of the year, when I was going to retire. Uh, and I, 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 I mean, it, it actually gave me pause for just a moment because I can't imagine that that idea is so foreign to me. Why would I stop doing what I enjoy doing? Why would I stop doing what I love? Yeah. So, um, and it's, that there's a reciprocity, energetic reciprocity. I love it, so I give it everything I've got, and it gives me a whole lot, you know, a whole lot of life back. Well, this is why I love doing what I'm doing when I'm talking to people such as yourself, who have got so many accolades, speak on stages worldwide. But I love to pull it back and get to know the person behind the profession. And wow, like I said, you've got incredible accolades. You're an author of five books. You've got testimonials to your name with the likes of Bob Proctor, David Meltzer, Magdalena Moore most impactful leadership coaches of our time. Um, you co-wrote Compassionate Capitalism with David. So you've been in the business of coaching, consulting, and leadership for going on 
40, 40 years, like you were saying. But one of the things that really drew me was the moving possibility into reality. Can you tell us, because there's a story behind that, and that's what I love through the campaign, getting to know the person behind. So what is that story, and can you tell us from the beginning? Yeah. Um, okay, I, I, I guess I, you know, I'll go back to the beginning. I grew up on a farm, and uh, so just you know, kind of taking nature as a teacher and teaching you know, and truly nature has been one of my greatest teachers. Mm. Um, springtime emerging. Well, first of all, there's winter when nothing, I mean, you look around and you go, <laughs> it's bleak, it's dark, it's cold. Um, now I'm not in Australia. When I lived in Australia, it wasn't quite as dark and bleak and cold, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, the idea here is when spring emerges or when spring starts to uh, appear, there's a promise of something coming mm. and you know, we'll plant seed and there's a possibility that that seed is going to you know, emerge out of the ground at some point in time and it will blossom into whatever you know, it's genetically programmed to blossom into. Um, so that possibility into reality uh, has, and I didn't have that language for it when I was uh, a young kid. But that's essentially what I think leaders do. I think that's essentially what life is about, is bringing the possibility that I envision, the possibility that I imagine into a reality. And I really come from you know, sort of a metaphysical, uh, ph philosophical uh, orientation where you know, everything that has ever been created has, you know, or ever will be created has already been created. It hasn't been manifested. And that's the key distinction. Yeah, people get you know all wrapped around the axle sometimes about you know the idea of creation. Forget about creation. Be concerned with manifestation. And when you start focusing on what does it take to manifest an ideal, what does it manifest? You know, what does it take to manifest a vision? Mm -hmm. Then you start having something that you can work with. If you, um, you know, and, and it's it's kindly a, a function of semantics and language, uh, but language both creates reality, but it also reflects reality. So if my language is organized around manifestation, there's a presumption that it already exists in some form. Mm. It hasn't, yeah, it just hasn't transformed into a material reality. So language does have that power. Yeah. And it's a power of possibility. It does. And I love hearing you say that because the more and more I get in, in, immersed myself and through the campaign, attesting to the campaign, it, I'm very grateful how big it's got, but in a sense, what I'm really grateful for is the person that I've become and the self-discovery and the journey. And exactly like you said there, I always had a vision in mind, but to see it come into fruition and then obviously your energy starts raising because you're working on yourself and then the manifestation starts working and then you get immersed listening to people like yourself and every, and oh, at the minute I'm, I'm, I've got about 10 books that I'm going through and I never used to read that much. I used to be an audio guy and it's so different, the different styles of learning that I now say to people, you really have to take the time out and just read a book and get into it. But um, I would say for you, what was the pivotal moment where a shift in your identity came to fruition that led you on this path? So where you are today, you've obviously, like I say, been on stages worldwide, been and worked with some of the biggest organizations around and mentored so many people. What was it where you knew that from that farm <laughs> that you wanted to transition and make this a career? Oh, that's, um, 
Yeah, that's a great question. There's actually a couple of different touch points along the way. So it's, it's not necessarily an event as much as it is as a sequencing of events that I paid, paid attention to. Mm-hmm. And I, I think, you know, the first one that actually comes to mind, and, and you mentioned books, um, I, I'm an avid reader. And I was reading some, you know, some works by Carlos Castaneda. You know, this goes, you know, this is back in the, uh, the um, mid seventies, I guess it was Carlos Castaneda. I would read uh, science fiction. I love science fiction. Uh, Robert Heinlein, uh, Stranger in a Strange Land as an example. But there was something about these stories uh, yeah, that dealt with possibility and it dealt with things that are outside of um, objective reality. There's, there's a reality beyond what I'm actually witnessing today. And that always intrigued me. And then when I started you know, you know, growing up a little bit, you know, and I say growing up in the sense of um, moving into my career, uh, I started playing with this notion and started looking around and noticed that you know, most people were captured by current circumstances. They seemed to not be able to transcend what's, what reality was uh, was was dishing up for them. Mm-hmm. And I knew that there was more. I mean, this whole notion, you know, Maslow talks about potential. You know, potential's about possibility. And when, you know, when Maslow reached the pin- pinnacle of self-actualization uh, in his pyramid, he then started playing with transcendence. And there's a distinction between doing what I do for me and doing what I do for others. And there's that shift, that that for others shift that gets me out of myself and requires literally that I start looking beyond current circumstances. So that's kind of a philosophical background. I sat in a chair in an audience in in a motivational seminar back in the 1970s and went, oh my God, somebody's actually talking about this. Yeah. And uh, my world just turned upside down. Um, I got, you know, I, I started just doing anything that I could to stay connected with that experience and that messaging. Ended up going to work for that company, um, led their programs, developed programs for them. And that was kind of the launch of what became my career. I mean, there was certainly no, no grand plan. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> It didn't match my university experience at all. It was kind of like, what are you doing? Yeah. Um, so and then one thing kind of led to another. And you know, so this is a, you know, a trunk, you know, short and a very long story here. Um, but eventually it, it uh, moved me to a position where I you know, began consulting with large organizations, looking at the nature of reality, looking at the nature of possibility, and how do you get emotional engagement from people rather than just you know, people that are going through the exercise of checking boxes. I come to work, I hang up my hat, I get a paycheck and I go home. Yeah, Yeah, there's got to be more to life than that. So I did that for decades, literally. And then um, about uh, a little bit more than 10 years ago, my wife died. And that was, you know, I talked about a sequence of events that, I mean, that literally, again, turned my world upside down. I had been very successful, but my success was now becoming rote. Uh, the, uh, the wind had gotten out, you know, kind of gone out of my sails, so to speak, <clears throat> excuse me. And when, uh, when Pam died, um, I had to examine everything. It's kind of like, you know, what's my life really about? And 
I knew what I wanted to do, but it was not doing it in the way that I had been doing it before. The messaging um, before had been tailored to match a current business environment that people wanted to hear and operate within, but that was just going to give them more of the same. Mm. And that was not what I wanted to be doing was more of the same. So uh, about 10 years ago, I started re, you know, just re, you know, redoing everything I was doing in terms of uh, the messaging, in terms of how I was positioning things. And uh, it became a lot more challenging for me, but also for my clients, because I would lead with questions that were different. I would lead with questions that weren't, you know, how can you make your next quarter's numbers? Uh, my question then would be, well, is, is, your, is your wallet fuller than your life? And if your wallet's fuller than your life, we may have a problem and you may want to address it. And how can we work with that? I mean, those sorts of, you know, which started going back to, you know, why are we, you know, why are you here? What's the purpose of business? And, and I would have that conversation in the boardroom. Well, people would say, well, we're getting, you know, we've got quarterly numbers we need to hit. The purpose of business is to make money. No, it's not. Purpose of business is to uplift the quality of being alive on this planet. And if you're not doing that well, you're going to go out of business. And you deserve to go out of business. Yeah. Purpose of life is to uplift the quality of living on this planet. And if you're doing that well, you're going to make money. I love that. So I suppose is, is, is that where it came into one of your books, which you, you can see yep. in the background there, The Compassionate Capitalism, which you've co yep. with David. You with know, David. I actually, I, I saw an interview with this and it was funny because the thing that I picked up on everything between you both was the fact that integral, you, you're so, what is it, encapsulate being humble and humility, like giving each other credit, whereas David was like, Blaine was the man behind this and I just put little bits in here and you was like, well, no, I learned from you. And that's why I love when people actually, because then you know that there's this creative plane where people just come together because it's something they want to put out. But can you tell our listeners about, about that book? And obviously that's leading in from what you was just talking about. Yeah. Uh, the book actually came about um, you know, two very good friends of mine, John Mackey, who founded uh, the Whole Foods organization here in the U.S., and a fellow by the name of Raj Sisodia, who's a uh, professor at Babson University on the East Coast here in the U.S., they co-wrote a book called Conscious Capitalism. And it was basically a, a, an exploration of, of, of uh, expanding stakeholders in a business, you know, becoming more conscious of the impact that my business has on all, all stakeholders, not just the shareholders, but all stakeholders, you know, the employees, the customers, the vendors, the, you know, the, the people that source my produce. I mean, the, all of those sorts of things. Now, you know, <clears throat> Raj had written a book just prior to that called Firms of Endearment. And I love that title, Firms of Endearment. Um, and the, the, the focus of that book was organizations that had values that were organized around love and caring, which you don't find in many, you know, <laughs> That's yeah. not, those are not too, too strong <laughs> corporate values necessarily. But he, yeah, he had data that said these firms, when they are paying attention to these behaviors, things dramatically change. And he and John got together. They wrote Conscious Capitalism. It became a bestseller, one of the best-selling books uh, of its time. But in my conversations with him, it became obvious to me that yeah, consciousness is one thing. Just being aware is one thing. But what's the behavior 
of that consciousness? How do you actually do something about what you're noticing? And that is where compassion comes in. Compassion's, um, it's impossible for me to be compassionate about anything if I don't feel connected to it. I mean, I can be aware of something, but if I don't feel connected to it, it's just, you know, well, I noticed that, that, ain't that awful? Wasn't that too bad? But it doesn't compel me necessarily to do anything. Mm-hmm. So when I bring compassion into the conversation, by, by definition, I have to be connected to whatever it is that's going on. And there isn't anything in the world that business does not touch. Yeah. The activity of business touches everything on this planet for good or for ill. So from that perspective, leaders of businesses, if they are organizing themselves from the perspective of connection, they begin to, they begin to actually organize around compassion, compassion for the activities of, you know, the consequence of our activities. You know, it's touching this, it's touching that, it touches the environment, it touches yeah, you know, we look at income equality, uh, inequality. You know, there's, there's, you know, living wages. It touches the community, or lack of living wages touches the community. So I start becoming more compassionate in terms of how I work with this. So compassionate capitalism. When I started writing the book, um, that was kind of the premise, and I was looking for examples of, and they were very few and far between, of truly compassionately capitalistic organizations. And I was introduced to David and one thing kind of led to another and his organization uh, truly is one of the first, I mean, from top to bottom, uh, compassionately capitalistic organizations that I had come across, not just in one area, but the whole breadth of the organization was organized that way. So, and I said, you know, look, you know, you've got great stories here. You've got a great ethos around this. Uh, this book is, you know, at the time the book was about 80% done, I think. I said, you know, at least from my perspective, I said, can we, can we collaborate on the rest of this and put it together? And it ended up expanding the book. Uh, and we've got some great stuff in there. So he and I, you know, we ended up co-writing uh, the book, you know, ultimately, uh, you know, off of the genesis of, of what I had begun. So that's kind of how the, the book came to, you know, came to be. Wow. Well, it's amazing what you've been able to do. One of the things I did want to touch upon, and um, I just got two more questions because I know you're a busy guy, but one of the biggest things that I wanted to talk about in relation to the campaign to do with mental health disrupting corporate silence, one yeah. of the reasons to disrupt corporate silence in essence was due to obviously, especially at the moment, current climate, or should I say landscape, mental health is so important anytime to discuss. But again, at this unprecedented time where there's a lot of people, small businesses or anyone in general sense going through, I would say a lot of people now who may never have experienced any kind of mental struggles, maybe experienced that now because nobody was obviously <laughs> ready for uh, a pandemic, but can you, in your in your experience, you've worked with so many organizations and again, maybe not have been through a pandemic, but you've been through or you've seen organizations go through turmoil or adversity when things go in. What has been your kind of experience or your take for anybody out there that may be struggling at the moment? Oh, that's a great question. Truly, Glenn, that's a great question. Um, 
first of all, uh, the, the notion that it's just business is a non-starter. Mm. Yeah, in this sort of environment, everything is personal. Yeah. And I think, yeah, when business leaders in particular begin to understand that everything is personal, and even if you're making a business decision in service of the business, it's, yeah, it's just business, you have to have a different kind of conversation with folks. Um, in times of great uncertainty, people look for some sort of certainty. And now leaders aren't going to have that certainty in absolute. So one of the things that I counsel my clients on is to begin to play with the notion of probabilities. And I, and I mean it in this way. You know, there's uh, uh, about a 70% chance that if this and this and this comes to pass, we'll be able to do X. Just the fact that I can assign a number to it, 70% possibility. People kind of go, oh, okay, yeah. Yeah, there, there's, some, there's some certainty in that. Mm -hmm. um, and it also, from the leadership side of it, gives me some, some room to come back and say, you know, I said it was about 70% if this and this and this happened. This didn't happen. So we have to recalibrate some things right now. And that allows for people to be more, what's uh, uh, the word I'd use here, more generous with their understanding when things kind of go sideways a little bit. Mm. Uh, and, and you will ha hear less of, well, you said. Yeah, yeah. So the more I can work with probability here, because nobody has any idea what this thing is going to look like ultimately as it, as it starts to fold out. Yeah. Now, one thing to remember is that this too shall pass. I mean, this, uh, the current plague, uh, COVID-19, um, is, is uh, serious as it is, this isn't the first time we've had this. Um, in you know, the time of Marcus Aurelius's reign, you know, Marcus Aurelius was a Roman emperor um, back about 74 AD, I believe it was, somewhere in that neighborhood. Um, there was a, it was called the Antonine Plague. It lasted uh, about, I think, 15 years. Uh, we're not really sure what it was. It may have been smallpox or it may have been something like that, but it, was a, it killed about 12 million people. And during Marcus Aurelius's entire reign, 15 years, he had to deal with this plague. And he became one of the most uh, well-known of the Stoic philosophers. Um, but in the course of that, they did a lot of things. I mean, it, it was circumstances outside of my control. Now, what do I do? And that's the th I think that's the key thing. We got through it then. We'll get through this. But in real time today, what can I do now with what I have where I am? What can I do now with what I have where I am? I'm, 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 I'm in my home. Yeah, social distancing uh, restrictions are in place. But that doesn't mean I'm, you know, I'm dead in the water. There's still a lot that I can do. And a lot of this has to do with clarity about what, and this goes back to the opening conversation, what's the possibility that I'd like to see in my life? Yeah. How do I, how do I begin to move little tiny steps perhaps towards that possibility being manifest, you know, being made manifest. And yeah, I start exploring, I start experimenting, you know, some things will work, some things won't. And I kind of go back to nature. I plant a seed and all of a sudden there's a cold frost and snow comes in and the seed is still in the ground, but I look at it and go, Oh God, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> all bets are off. 
Well, I go away and about four weeks later, the sun has come out, the earth warms up a little bit, and now I see a little thing starting to stick through. It's kind of like, oh, yeah, there, there is hope. <laughs> there it's is hope. The, through all the exploring and that, I just wanted to touch upon last question for you. Your, your latest book, The Leadership Mindset Weekly, so is that going to be talking and discussing a lot of things that we mentioned today? In, in if you are a leader of a company, how you can do all that? If you can yeah. Just, yeah. It's exactly, yeah, I wrote uh, the Leadership Mindset Weekly as, as kind of the leadership guide for compassionate capitalism. Yeah, you know, how does a leader actually do this? And yeah, uh, it's got 52 weekly practices and, I, and I've, you know, I've actually you know, um, uh, put together a mastermind you know, group you know, that people can join at any time. Um, but it, it takes each of the 52 weekly practices and we will spend a week doing a deep dive on those practices. And over the course of 52 weeks, what you end up doing is shifting your mindset about what it means to be a leader and how you actually lead. Mm -hmm. And the way that we define leadership for the book, and actually this is the work I do, leadership is the activity of co-creating coordinated movement. There's two pieces to it. Co-creation. So it's kind of like, you know, compassionate capitalism. That book was co-created. David and I did that. Ownership, you know, it moved from me originally to him so that we, co you know, we co-owned the yeah. idea. And then it was a question of coordinated movement. How do we do this dance so that we can manifest this thing in reality? And, you know, and he and I both have very busy cleaning schedules. So yeah, yeah. We, we had to figure out ways to do that. So co-creating coordinated movement. And there's a mindset that allows for that. And it's different than command and control. It's different from top down. It's different from directive. Yeah. Wow. Well, it's, 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 invitational. it sounds incredible. Where can people um, get your book from and find out more information about you? Well, um, last piece first, you can find out more about me at Blaine Bartlett, one word, blainebartlett.com. And there's you know, resources on that site. Uh, there's information about my coaching work and uh, the mastermind program and that sort of thing. Uh, the book itself can be uh, uh, purchased uh, either on my website. Uh, there, there's a, a way to do that or directly by going to amazon.com. Um, and in Australia, uh, I, I've, I've you know, had a number of sales already, uh, folks you know, you know, pick, picking up the book there. So, yeah, just look for the Leadership Mindset Weekly yeah, by Blaine Bartlett. Well, I will be putting all the links on to this podcast and all of our socialist guys. But, um, yeah, I just wanted to say on behalf of myself and the campaign for doing what you're doing over all these years and continuing to do it, um, Lastly, what does being imperfectly perfect mean to you, Blaine? <laughs> I love that question. It means being human. At the end of the day, it means being human. Uh, I think striving for perfection is absolutely a uh, crazy thing to, 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 to aspire to. I'm already that. <laughs> I, mean, yeah, I, I start from the premise that I'm perfect, and, and then so I'm, I'm you know, perfectly imperfect. I mean, my, my perfection just shows up in beautifully imperfect ways, which is where the... Yeah, Leonard Cohen has got a song out, uh, The Light Comes Through the Crack. I mean, that's my butchering of basically the, the uh, phraseology on it. But the only way the light comes through anything is through the cracks. And the, you know, I have a light inside, and it shows up through my imperfections. Love and that's, that. that's where the celebration is. Love that. Well, I have thoroughly enjoyed this chat and listening to everything 
everything about your career. So I'm going to put all the links to everything that you do up on the website and everywhere. Um, but guys, again, on behalf of everybody that's listening, we want to thank you, Blaine, for coming on. And yeah, just um, make sure that you head to Spotify or High Art Radio, subscribe, like, and share this episode. It will be available in the next couple of weeks, guys. So I'll put all the links up. But until then, make sure you're having the hard conversations, guys, and um, we will speak soon. To find out more about the Imperfectly Perfect campaign and how you can get involved, simply head to our official website at imperfectlyperfectcampaign.org or email us today at info at imperfectlyperfectcampaign.org to speak to one of the team. The Imperfectly Perfect campaign is creating awareness and is not a substitute for professional advice. Should you need help, please refer to your nearest crisis number. 